0: Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your Shriners Recap Episode. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. What's up, Greg?
1: 45 more weeks. This was a this is an exciting one another playoff. You knew watching this, it was going to go into a playoff. Um, it, you just weren't quite sure how it was going to get there. But it was an exciting tournament.
0: It was a three way playoff, which we will really break it all down. <laughs> Thank you, producer Jacob, and also joining us, it's Mark Immelman. Mark, welcome to the show. Good to see you.
2: Uh, I have to tell you guys how much I dislike playoffs. You were lamenting uh, that in the group chat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me more.
1: Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
2: Playoffs just make things like this last way later and longer than they should be. And everyone's ready to get out of town, although we're in Vegas for two weeks now. So for the players, it's just another week in the hotel, wherever you are. But yeah, playoffs just, they, they throw a huge mark. If you're, you're
1: not guys. working, if you're just, I know it's a rare time. If you're not doing a podcast, you're not covering the event. You're purely a fan. Do playoffs excite you?
2: Not really, <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I'm so so burned from playoffs when I'm actually out there working that when there's a chance for a playoff, I'm just hoping anyone will win. I, I don't care who it is. You know, it could be someone I'm related to or whatever. I'm like not oh, a playoff, not, so a playoff not a playoff, not a playoff.
0: Uh, Well, let's jump into this playoff. Martin Laird comes out victorious in a three-way playoff between him, Austin Cook, and Matthew Wolf. That was the 11th playoff in the history of the Shriners. And Martin Laird captures his first victory since the 2013 Valero Texas Open and now the second time that he's won this event. Greg, we'll start with you. I... Don't necessarily always believe in fate, but we might have got a a fateful event or at least round from Martin Laird today. Let me recap a couple of shots that he hit on Sunday. That made, I mean, when you're talking about one shot, all the difference. Uh, the shot on nine, an absolutely plugged lie in a bunker that the announcers are saying, oh, he better, he might hurt himself on this one. He might not get this out of the bunker. He holds it for Eagle. Uh, he then gets to 17, hits a terrible shot right uh it hits the cart path, goes right of the green. He's able to get up and down from that position. Then he survives a three way playoff between Austin Cook and, and Matthew Wolf. I mean, this felt like Martin Laird's deck.
1: Yeah, it was very clearly. I mean, there are a couple of things you could look at and say, okay, it's not his day, but the saves were uh, were something special. I mean, the to start with the one on nine, the plug lie in the bunker, that's one I find very interesting. Um, when you're on an upslope, a plug lie is not necessarily a really, it's not really a bad thing. Plug lies always look, they always seem to look worse than they are if you know what you're doing, if you're on an upslope. If you're not on an upslope, you got very little chance out of a plug live. But when you're on an upslope like that, you really, I mean, you're just popping it out and it comes out really soft and and there's kind of a lot you can do. It's not that hard. The challenge with him is he was so close to the lip sometimes you can almost be underneath the lip a in a bunker shot like that. And even if it goes straight up in the air, it could still catch the lip. There's almost no way it can go forward and get out of the bunker at the same time. But in this case, it was, and that's what I was worried about watching. I wasn't really worried about injury um, or or any, or anything. Some of the other things the announcers mentioned, I I wasn't necessarily worried about, but I was worried about it getting out um, and going forward. And I guess there was enough room there where it came out perfectly and happened to go in. But um, you know, it's it's one of those interesting shots. It, it that one just looked so bare. I mean, it was really buried, which is unpredictable. But um, what a shot! What a round from him.
0: We talk often about how meaningful victories are sometimes we frame them in terms of young guys and we'll probably talk about Will Zalatoris later he didn't win but he's continuing to to pile up FedEx Cup points but Mark here's Martin Laird who won this event 11 years ago uh, actually played it on a sponsors exemption this time around the last Golfer to win on a sponsor's exemption was Matthew Wolf at the 2019 3M Open. So I, I, now uh, a much different outset for Martin Laird moving forward, and you can tell it was he was getting a little, little emotional, a little choked up in the uh, post-round interview with your brother.
2: Yeah, you, you know that again, it's sort of where we covered last week after the Sanderson Farms event down in Jackson, Mississippi, where you know anyone on the PGA Tour at any time could win. I mean, that's just how good folks are out there, and and martin laird the one thing about him he has a pension for closing now, we've talked about this before that when he's in contention he will find a way to get the thing done and and you talk about the holdouts on the ninth from the bunker that was pretty special but i tell you what that up and down on 16 in regular 17 in regulation that was just that was off the charts over there you know not just the creativity of it not just the imagination of it but the gumption to attempt the shot pull it off and then make that putt from 15 feet, 20 Yep. Oh, it was pretty awesome. And and then you could see obviously how meaningful it is on 18 uh, in regulation where you you kind of lay back off the tee. You just make sure you keep it out of the baranket down the left. And then there's nothing but peril on the left side of the hole location. So your fan went out to the right and that's just as cooked over there. So I, I was really happy for him that he got the thing done because I think the point was made maybe by Phil Blackmore or one of the announced crew that, you know, you don't get many chances, and you've got to try and take your chance. And and kudos to Laird for for getting past the nerves, for getting past the disappointment of the bogey on the 72nd hole, and then birding uh, the 17th, which is just you know, it's one of the tough holes coming down the stretch there. And to come through, you know, with that huge save in regulation and the birdie to win it t- was cool for me to see.
0: I mentioned 11 years in between winning the same event. Here's a Justin Ray special. The PGA Tour record for most years between wins in the same event. Any guesses here?
1: Oh, man. No, I no, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> Sam Snead
0: owns the record, as we could have figured out. But uh, 27 years... <laughs>
1: <laughs> in greensboro. was it the greensboro yeah yeah he go. won in
0: 1938 and 1965 that's unbelievable
1: <laughs> did he win there in between that did he win it all in between or is that just like oh. two wins one in
2: 30 oh, he won the event like five
1: times yeah that's kind of what i thought so it's I, interesting i don't know if there's still any, i don't know if there's a 27 any. year span.
0: Yeah. Um, one one more thing on Laird, Greg. You know, uh, he's coming off this uh, knee surgery, right? I mean, that was why we didn't see him initially at, at the restart. And also, you might have noticed it because he was reading putts on one knee. Uh, when I first saw him doing that, I'm like, what? That's, that's kind of weird, right? Most guys squat. Most guys do whatever. He was, I assume, that is protecting the knee coming off a of surgery. And then I put it all together and figured out that's what he was doing.
1: Yeah, it, it's very unique to see. You don't <laughs> typically... Uh, you, you don't typically see that, especially out a guys in contention. So uh, a little bit of, uh, interesting, um, but hey, glad he could get it done. I, th- I think a lot of that kind of stuff, we've talked about this with Jason Day. They go through, um, y- you go through certain procedures as preventative maintenance, preventative care. So I'm not sure. I mean, watching him swing, watching him play all week, as, as, well, as, he was, uh, as well as he was swinging, as well as he was hitting it, I don't think the injury was an issue but they're definitely on the greens looked like there was a little bit of protection against it
0: one of the golfers that he was in a playoff with, we'll get to Matthew Wolf. I want to talk about Austin cook really quick, Mark, because he shoots, you know, 70, uh, 67, 66 on the weekend, uh, only two, two top 25 finishes last season. And, uh, the, the story for me kind of with Austin cook was he was kind of rolling right along and his group got put on the clock and and, and you could almost tell late in that round, things were, were different for him. Now he was still able to get into a playoff. He's Had his cracks at birdie to win this thing, but I I can't even imagine, uh, you know, being near the end of a of a of a tournament on a Sunday and being put on the clock and now having to you know reconsider everything you're doing.
2: Definitely is, but the one thing about Cook, you know, and this belies the results that he's had in recent seasons, um, but he is a very very mature, very rounded young player, and the victory he had at the RSM Plastic down in Sea Island. I think he shot a fine run 64 in a blustery sort of a day around a challenging golf course. And he's got a lot of game, he hits the ball solidly, hits the thing straight. And he's got sort of a sense for the moment. And, and I, I was impressed at the fact because getting beyond one of those things where you're suddenly on the clock and it's easy to get out of routine. But he had the presence of mind enough to still kind of go through what he needed to do. You could see him bustling between shots, but then over the golf ball, you could see that he and his caddy were doing what they needed to do to get every shot hit to the best of their perfection. Again, taking your chance when you had it. And so it was a, it was a pretty veteran performance. He's been on the tour for a few years. And uh, I'll tell you what you speak of, you know, pretty clutch performances that birdie he made on 17 to give himself a chance. um, You know, that was pretty clutch, a big sweeper from the right that he made from like 25, 30 feet. So, you know, he's a good player um He's the kind of guy that won't really go away. He might have dips in form like everybody does, but his golf swing is very reliable, and so he's the kind of guy that, if things go awry, it's, he's never he's never that far away from finding it again. Then you add that to someone who can seriously roll it under pressure. And I think he's got a bright future, and he's the being an all America at arkansas so he he's played against the best, he's played against Wolf and these sorts of guys and so, and he's beaten all comers. So I, I was I, I, I kind of expected him not to capitulate, and he didn't this afternoon, even though he was on the on the podcast.
0: Yeah, he rolled a couple of putts in and I'm thinking this guy just will not go away. So kudos to Austin Cook. And the third man in that playoff, Greg, was Matthew Wolf, who, uh, you know, I, I'm running out of adjectives. I, I'm running out of superlatives. I'm running out of ways to describe how impressive. He's been, and for being what now, 21 years old, how the game continues to mature. Uh, he's doing it at winged foot in, in difficult conditions. He's doing it at TPC Summerlin in a birdie fest at 23 under par. I mean, this game translates seemingly across the board. It's, it, I don't know, Hel- help me describe what's going on with this kid right now.
1: Um, it, it's quite simple. He's really good. And I think there was a, a time, and this still may be true, where uh, Amorikawa seemed to be head and shoulders above uh, Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland. He seemed to be head and sho- completely different player way well, well, well above him. But Matthew Wolf, who's the knock on him was kind of, I would say inconsistency, right? Well he, the consistency is starting to round into form. And this is something Rick you and I have talked about quite a bit, What's going to happen with, um, with Matthew Wolf in these regular events? What's going to happen with him week in and week out? Is he going to show us a little bit of consistency, or is he going to continue to miss cuts? Now, earlier this year, there was some really good play. I'm sorry, last year in 2019, some great play, a couple of missed cuts, great play, missed cut, great play, but towards the end of this year, After the PGA Championship, really after the 3M Open, you're talking about a tied uh, tied fourth at the PGA, tied 16th at the BMW. We remember what happened at the U.S. Open, getting into a playoff here. For a kid that's 21 years old, the amount of key pressure putts that he's faced, whether they've gone in or not, he has been in the moment so often. It's really, really fun to watch, and it's great experience he's building going forward.
2: I find it curious that you reference the putter and the key putts that he's made, because in my experiences with him, and I've gotten to call him for PGA Tour Alive when you're on a guy for 18 holes. So I've seen basically the entire round, even though he might not be playing well, because if you catch him on network television, he think attention. So he's playing pretty well. So uh, the the thing that I thought, if anything, was the weakness was on the greens. And and if there has been an inconsistency that is kind of you know scuffering performance. You think of him coming down the stretch at the PGA. Was out in front of folks, had a chance to post, and he's got like six, seven, eight feet on the last hole, misses. And I watched him coming down the stretch a few times here where, look, that putt on 18, I've seen that a few times, and no one ever reads that thing right. It always hangs high. But there was one or two situations coming down the stretch there that he had makeable putts that j- just creep over the edge. So I think if there is a little something that needs to become more consistent with Matthew Wolf. It is on the greens because he can hit the heck out of the thing. He's powerful enough. And, and I don't believe he gets the credit that's due for how good an iron player he is. I mean, he has more balls inside the flagstick than most folks. He's just got to find a way to knock those down. And if there has been a little shortcoming over these recent events where he has been in contention, one or two putts that could be made under, uh, over that final nine uh, holes, final 18 or whatever, that have just gone a begging.
0: Well we can get another opinion on this because Kyle Porter has decided to join us. So I'd like to do a few things. I'd like to first play where in the world is Kyle Porter. Start with that.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> am I am I coming through on my phone or on my on my headphones?
2: Uh,
0: I would guess that is a phone producer. Okay.
3: okay, good. I don't know. I like your wing foot hat, right?
0: thank you thank finally someone noticed it yes my wing foot gear yeah,
3: that's that's great um i'm at a i'm at a uh i left the lake lake life is over i'm at a friend's house in dallas now so he's watching sunday night football my wife his wife are in there and i'm just yelling in the other room about martin laird so <laughs> it's, things are things are going well uh can I give? Can I? Can I do the Matthew Wolf? Thing? Yeah.
0: Can I tee you up on this? So we've been we've been talking about uh, how mature the game is. You heard the end of 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 Mark's uh, comments there, and then also, while all this is going on, KP, you might have noticed that as Matthew Wolf is about to tee off in his first ever PGA Tour playoff, he's joking around to see if he can get one of those tee markers to take home with him. Like he is just so cool, calm, and collected. I, I, I'm so impressed with him. Yeah, you know, I noticed it
3: even more so after he lost. Like, he picked up his marker on 17, and he was just kind of like, oh, eh, yeah, okay, eh, you know, on to, you know, CJ Cup or whatever's next week, Zozo, CJ, CJ, then Zozo. Um, he the the only thing I can think about is he, he, so he played the last four and three under. And he should, the, the, the Tita green stuff is just so freaking good. And the only thing I can think about the whole time is like, this dude's going to win so much on the PGA tour. And yeah, he didn't make the putts late on 18 twice. And then on 17, but his speeds there were so good. And did you guys realize he's up to 18 in the world? No.
1: Yes. I'm looking at it right now.
3: (laughs) He's going to be 16 probably tomorrow after, after the new one comes out. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm biased because I've, I covered him when he was at OSU. I was around him a little bit, but everything he does is just super impressive to me.
0: Yeah. We actually have a hard time. Um, like in the stat models that we run, he's improving so quickly. He's like outpacing all the models and everything. It's actually hard to keep up with him because of how meteoric his rise has been. So it's been difficult.
3: Is there a comp for him though, where it's like, Somebody who comes out really quickly and wins, and then goes away a little bit for like a year or so, and then you look at his last ten, and he's got four top fives, including this one, including two majors, PGA and U.S. Open, and so it's it, it was like this weird like really hot early, struggled in the middle, and and just but he's been lights out the last two or three months.
2: Well, that's kind of what I wanted. The thing with Matthew Wolf expectation of everybody because you know everyone knows he 's generational, everyone knows he's him. everyone knows he 's got super swagger which makes him noticeable, and everyone of course notices the golf swing, which stands out, so he draws eyeballs, and so for him, you know backing up the first victory and proving that I am for real, this therein lies the challenge to me, and now he 's shown again that he can contend. Now, people, he's going to start to get that question in the next, very next press conference he's in. So, Matthew, now, this is two events in the new season. You've had two runners up. What are you going to do to win? He's going to have to start managing that sort of thing, too. And, and by the way, Carl, that you referenced how he dealt with this, I think it'll kind of be like water on a duck's back, which will be beneficial. I feel like that's an advantage. But he's still going to have to manage his way through this little time because the questions now aren't Matthew Wolf the talent – Matthew Wolf, their personality. The questions are going to be like, Matthew Wolf, 16 in the world. You need to win more. What's the story? And so I, 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 I'm I, hoping he learns from having been close to Ricky Fowler to, to be able to deal with this sort of thing because like Fowler, he's got it all going on. He's good looking. You know, he carries a clothes horse. He's got great game. But in the final analysis, it's about winning. And so, you know, all the talent in the world amounts to nothing if you don't turn it into victories. And we know that.
0: Really interested to see what the next three months, six months, nine months looks like for Matthew Wolf. He is unbelievable at the moment. A couple of quick hitters, gentlemen. Greg, I want to go to you on this one. We got to talk Willie Z. We got to talk Will Zalatoris, who coming into the week needed a two-way. Th- this is this is the fun part of the FedEx Cups, right? Uh, a two-way tie for fifth or better for special, special, special temporary status. Now it was a three-way high for fifth so i believe he's actually going to fall a few points short but with that top 10 he gets himself into the bermuda championship not having to use a sponsor's exemption there this is just the continuation of will zalatoris is uh now incredibly likely to get himself this special temporary status and then parlay that into a tour card for uh access next year
1: look i thought it was going to happen last week uh (laughs) i was i was pretty confident about it um, I guess it's going to be two weeks later. Cause I'm pretty sure he's going to do it in Bermuda. He, he seems, he is so gifted T to green. And it, it speaks to, we talk about, we beat, I mean, we've beaten this dead horse for so long. The, the corn Ferry tour is so strong in order to contend out there, you have to have re- a really, really strong game. And the players that come out of there who have success there, the confidence carries over. It's not like, okay, now there's this whole new level. There's this whole new learning curve. As those tours become more similar, um, the players on the Corn Ferry Tour watch other players before them. You might call them trailblazers, right? They they lead the way and show them that hey, the the transition's not as hard as you think. So now Will Zalatoris gets his opportunity. He he should feel like he should have his PGA Tour card right now as it is. Um, and now he's going out there and um and and making a real push. He he has the game to win, and he could become. A, a rookie of the year this year, even though starting the year, he doesn't have a PGA Tour card. He has that kind of game, that kind of ability. You see him fourth to to green this week. Um, it, it's just been fantastic, fantastic stuff. Tenth approaching the green. Uh, he He's very, very, very well-rounded. I have two more
0: topics that I think are going to spark a good discussion here before we get into odds and ends. Terrell Hatton wins the BMW PGA championship. It is now his third victory in his last 13 starts worldwide, which is unbelievably impressive. But unfortunately, Mark, the story on Twitter, and that's really only where it's only where it matters is on Twitter. Uh he got a little, maybe a little heat for wearing a hoodie all four rounds. In route to victory. Now, I know where I stand on wearing a hoodie while playing golf. Where do you stand on this?
2: It's so asinine. I mean, can you believe some of the crap that we have to deal with on social media? Yeah, you've got a guy, honestly, I mean, arguably, and Carl's made this point that, you know, with the way he's played over the recent months, he, he has a pitch for one of the leading players in the world, if not the leading player of the world. And some fool has got to bring up the fact that he's wearing a hoodie. Now, look, golf is a traditionalist game. I am an old codger. I'm 50 now. Okay. (laughs) And I'm quite fine with wearing a hoodie. In fact, when you're playing in Europe, I think a hoodie is mandatory wearing because it's cold and damp over there. And, and, and and just like, you know, just like the arms race in golf and the fast golf ball and the hyperspeed drivers and all of this sort of stuff and physical fitness and Bryson doing his thing and all the rest. Why can't clothing evolve? You know, it, it was the same thing with, with Eric Van Royen and wearing those, well, first Ricky was doing that and Adam Scott wore those little jogger kind of long trousers things. Do it, man. As long as you're professional and presentable, whatever. And I saw this and I was like, jeez, man, do you, don't you guys have something else to talk about? That was ridiculous. Uh,
0: uh, well, we're going to get your thoughts on that Bryson topic in a second. KP, let's bring you in on this because, I mean, the bigger story here, uh Mark's absolutely right. I mean, the run that Terrell Hatton has been on and and you've been all over this along with the fact that, I mean, he grows up wanting to, wanting to win at Wentworth. There was the great, you know, thing coming around social media where he's got a, he posed in a, in the same spot today with the trophy of, he has a picture when he's like, you know, 11 years old watching the event. I mean, it is just such a cool full circle thing. And he really is one of the world's best golfers.
3: Yeah, he, he really is. He, he's a little bit, and this is going to be um, this is going to be a reach because Henrik Stinson is is one of the is, is an, a, an unbelievable player, one of the best players of his generation. But he reminds you of the Henrik Stinson type that can win a, a bunch on the PGA Tour. I, I think Stinson has a handful of PGA Tour wins. Wins often on the European Tour. Can win a major. You know, stinson has got one. Um, could potentially win a FedEx Cup like Stinson did. And then it's just going to be just a psycho at the Ryder Cup. Like that, that's <laughs> the, that's kind of the mold that he fits in. Right. And like, it, it, who knows whether he fulfills all of that, but he's a star. I mean, he's up to 10 in the world. Um, he is. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this since he shot the fake shotgun at the <laughs> API. He's, he's, he's a stud and I I just, I love his game and he's just, his iron play is relentless. Um, Yeah, he's a a special talent and I'm excited. He's always fun when he's in contention too. Like he's hard to, he's hard to take your eyes off of, which is, you know, that's kind of our deal. Like that's the game that we're in. And so he's, he's a blast to watch and to, uh, to follow. I
0: I love him. He's great. He's self-deprecating. He's great for content. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's really, really good. I mean, it's awesome, Mark.
2: Yeah, he's uh, he's awesome for an on-course announcer to follow because I really have to do nothing when I've got his group. I mean, you set him up, and then once the shot's gone, you let him have the microphone because some of the he delivers gold and gems and all sort of stuff. And to Carl's point, sometimes it's self-deprecating, sometimes he goes after his caddy who's so long-suffering, uh, and and he's enter- he's an entertainer who's got a lot of game. And so I think I, I think as he plays over here in the states more. I feel like there's going to be a pretty healthy-sized following that start to become fans of Tyrell Hatton
0: speaking of a very healthy size let's talk about bryson DeChambeau, chambeau and that was, that was a pretty good segue wasn't it You guys not bad that. not All bad right. thank you a pro's pro uh, i'm a professional um listen here's the other topic that's that's flying around golf this week and any week that bryson goes out and drives the seventh green on tpc Summerlin on thursday and friday i mean he's doing things that are sparking a lot of conversation greg we'll start with you on this i mean matthew fitzpatrick The quote was he's taking the skill out of the game. I think there was a lot of context around that. I don't think that was supposed to be necessarily a dig at Bryson DeChambeau. But I mean, when you have other players, other peers talking about what you're doing to the game, uh, are we at the point where we're going to start talking about rolling things back again? Like where are we at now?
1: Well, this conversation right now dominates uh, the Twitter world. This is the conversation that everybody's having. If you, if you follow the guys at decade with uh, Scott Fawcett and Lou Stagner and the real statistics guys, they're all over this every single week. And, And the reason, part of the reason is there's a lot of pushback on it. So I look at it from a couple different standpoints, especially when it comes to the Matthew Fitzpatrick thing. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of that statement, but I think that statement kind of defines why people are a little bit, um, against the Bryson movement. So it brings up a number of, a number of questions for me when it comes to, uh, that when it comes to the distance, the first question is if you could put on 40 pounds, add two inches to the driver, if you could gain all that distance, then why haven't you? Why, why haven't you gone and, and done if if what Bryson's doing makes the game too easy and takes the skill out of it and you can't compete because you're so far back of him and he's cutting corners you can't cut you're at a competitive disadvantage yet at the same time you're saying you could do the same thing but you're you're just not so you haven't put in the effort that he has and so he beats you handily and so if I'm look I'm looking at Matthew Fitzpatrick who I like he's a fine young man um, and, and a wonderful player. But if you're, if you don't like the way the competition is going and you're just getting beat by somebody who's put in more work than you, then you have two choices. You can accept it, keep doing what you're doing and hope they change the rules in your favor, or you can go ahead and and try to beat them, right? Figure out what you can do to beat them. And so I, I look at that as a sign of, um, that, that that's problematic to me. Whereas Rory McIlroy made comments, but then you see him out there working on his speed, trying to find, trying to, trying to catch the guy, right? Trying to take his advantage back. Cause that was always Rory's advantage. He's, he's out there now trying to take it back. So you see DJ out there, he's picking up speed too. They're, these guys are all trying to catch up and they're trying to, um, to take for both DJ and Rory. They're trying to take their advantages back that Bryson has gone and earned those advantages. And if you're Matthew Fitzpatrick, I'm sorry. You got to keep up, or you're you're not going to keep up, and you're going to lose. And they're not going to change the rules in your favor. And any change you you offer, any change that you think is going to help uh, slow Bryson down, is going to give Bryson a bigger advantage because you can't slow down club head speed. You could make the cl- the club shafts heavier. Well, that's going to make that's going to slow Fitzpatrick down too. And Bryson, who's stronger, is going to swing it faster. A- any anything you suggest except maybe things in golf course architecture. Anything you suggest makes the advantage greater for club head speed because it's irreplaceable. So, Matthew, my recommendation is go get faster if you can.
2: You know what? That's a good point. I love the way you framed it, Greg, where you said about asking questions. And here's a question I want to ask. Um, When Dustin Johnson was belting the ball over corners that Jordan Spieth and company could never take it on, why was, no, where were, where were the Twitter police? Where was the, the social media folks? Where were they then? Because Dustin Johnson just does it quietly. Bryson's been very vocal about what he does and it's become a bit of a spectacle. And then there's been one or two instances where he's been on television and then things have sort of become a bit of a drama out there. So now I've, you find folks that sort are of piling onto the conversation, but the truth of it is since Jack Nicholas, since Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson, all these sorts of guys, they've driven the thing long. And Dustin Johnson has the gas, if he decides to, to keep it up with Bryson. That I can promise you, I've watched them both play. And if, and if Rory, we've seen him, I think he doesn't have the, the benefit of levers. But they're just certain folks that are going to hit it longer. And to me, hitting it longer is a skill. And then add to that, hitting it longer and straighter, like Bryson DeChambeau is, that is a huge skill. Because ordinarily, the long hitters, the woods are filled with them. And you've got Bryson DeChambeau, who hits the fairway at about a 60% clip at 190 mile an hour ball speed or whatever it is. So, So to me, it is a skill. And people have been doing it for a long time. And I'm saying, goodness gracious, man, as much as what Bryson's a spectacle, lay off the guy. To your point, ask a better question. What can I do to make sure I can compete with that guy who's doing what he has to do to compete?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the skill part of it is very apparent you're not taking the skill out of it when you're flexing your skill. KP, let's have you put a bow on this. Is this the evolution? Right. Is is we we talked about uh, I mean, there's been evolution in clothing, in in equipment, in styles of play. Is this where we're going? It's going to be driver wedge and we're just going to dominate courses that way. I mean, I don't know. Is this is this where we're headed?
3: I think it is i think it's tiger in the late 90s at augusta where they have to i mean we hear the term tiger proof you know all, the, all these different courses and i i think that's what's happening and and i've been pretty vocal about that happening and people have been like oh i think you're making too big of a deal out of this and i might be i am making a bigger deal out of it than most people but it's because i think we're on the precipice of this, i called it an inflection point after the us open i really do I think, you know, when Gregor and Mark are talking about the Matthew Fitzpatrick stuff, people are people are having the wrong conversation. It's not about this. Is not about Bryson, right? This is this is about this is about equipment. This is about the golf ball. This is about not being able to host a, a major championship at freaking Wingfoot Golf course, the you know hundred-year-old best course in the country or, or whatever. That's the conversation. It's not about Bryson, and people get all wound up about. The, the protein shakes and the hitting the driving range net from 370. That, that, none of this is about that. He is like this. And he, he's like the carrier for it. He's the guy that, you know, when you're playing Monopoly with a friend and like, they found a loophole in the game and you're like, this is stupid, but it's also like legal and fair. And he's beating me all the time. Maybe not Monopoly, maybe some other some simpler game. Um, that's what Bryson's doing. So it, He's not the person that should be held accountable for it. It is the USGA, the RNA, the people that are in charge of all these championships. Go go to take them your vitriol, not Bryson. It's not Bryson's fault. He's doing the work. He's the one, like Mark alluded to, that has figured this stuff out. He's figured out how to be the best at the most important thing to be the best at. So I, I just i get frustrated when people come at Bryson. It's like, Oh, that fault. He's 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 put the work in and he's done it. We have to figure out this is what we want golf to be for the next twenty or thirty years.
0: Well, I'm sure in the next twenty or thirty years we will have plenty of conversations about this, but we've got to talk about CJ Cup. A second week in Vegas. We've got to go through our odds and ends recap, our matchup challenge recap, our one and done. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Two weeks in a row in Las Vegas. The boys don't have to travel anywhere because it's Shadow Creek next week for the CJ Cup. And Greg, we're going to go through this field on Monday for the DFS preview, but this bad boy is stacked. Number one player in the world, Dustin Johnson back in action. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, I've heard of him. Justin Thomas, just to name a few. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun at a course that you don't get to see much of. And our latest taste of it was the Phil versus Tiger match from a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah. Which is a, this is going to be a completely different um, viewpoint of the golf course. Cause all you can really make of a golf course on TV is how the players play it, how the players handle it, how their golf ball responds and what kind of strategies you see them employ. But when you have a full field or close to a full field out there, um, it's going to look a little bit different. So I'm excited to see the golf course. I still feel like I don't really know very much about it. Um, you're going to see the 17th and 18th hole come into play uh, in a much different way than we did in the match. So I- I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the rest of this field go out there and compete. Um, I mean, it is a stacked field and, and to get out there and watch DJ and Thomas and, and McElroy and, and John Rahm, of course, to see who's going to really get this season off to a great start, who's going to jump up and challenge Bryson in uh, in the FedEx Cup and challenge him for a Masters. And and this is where we're really going to see people put their name in the hat for Augusta National, for the Masters in November. We're going to realize who the real contenders are for a November Masters. So I, I couldn't be more excited.
0: Let's talk about Shadow real, Creek. Real, real quick. Oops, Greg, yeah. Go ahead. Greg, do you think that Bryson should be the Masters favorite?
1: Um, it's an interesting question. I think we still have a couple uh, a couple weeks to go, right? Because if you right now, yes, I think he should be., Um, but if this week doesn't go very well and his first nine on Saturday comes out more often, then then no. But I mean we haven't seen that nine whole stretch from Bryson hardly at all. So I, I mean, look, that happens. but I, I think that's more of a one off. So I, I do think he should be the favorite. Yeah. He's
0: seven to one. Currently, he is the favorite ahead of Roy McIlroy at ten to one. Do
1: you hear Jordan Spieth talk about that? Just, uh, I mean, Jordan Spieth was on a uh, um, on on a podcast talking about Augusta and how the golf course sets up and where how wide the fairways will be at the distance Bryson hits it. And if you th- if you think about it, I mean, they they really do get a lot wider. And one of the uh, if you ever study Alistair McKenzie. Uh, who of course designed Augusta National? He said that um, that fairways should get wider for longer hitters because it's harder for longer hitters to hit fairways because they have more club head speed. So fairways would go from narrow to wide, which I just find fascinating. And so for Bryson on some of these holes, like like on number nine for instance, it's as wide as could, you can possibly get. So it really at Bryson's distance really opens up. But I do think there are other players in the mix like a Fienau, like a Matthew Wolf, that are really going to have that same advantage. So um, while I think Bryson should be the favorite, it, it's going to be really fun to uh, see what happens leading up.
2: Augusta National, in my experiences, is a second-shot golf course. And yes, pounding it down there off the tee lends the advantage. But you better be flatting irons. You better be controlling distance. You better have some gumption about you uh, to be able to hit some lag putts from some funky spots and make those four, five, six those uncomfortable Uh, length of putts. So yeah, he does have an advantage bashing it like he does off the tee, but you've got to hit irons around that place. And every great golfer that has won around there has had a phenomenal iron game and been able to putt, look at the list of champions, Nicholas woods. And then you get into some folks who didn't drive it that well, that have found a way to win around there. Jose Maria twice, Ben Crenshaw twice. So it's about iron play and and scoring around there.
0: Well, we are four weeks away from Augusta, so I am going to reset us to Shadow Creek and to the CJ Cup for next week. As much as I <laughs> talk about Masters, hot, uh, I'm going to bring it back to Shadow Creek, which KP, I mean, this is an exclusive club. You've got to stay at one of the MGM resorts. You can't get on here, it's super expensive. And people say, When you're on the course, it's not even like you're in Las Vegas. It's not like you're in the desert. It's actually quite lush and you think you might be in Wisconsin or Ohio or Michigan, but you're in the middle of the desert. It's going to be kind of strange when we look at what we saw this week, pure desert golf and what we might see next week, which is visually a lot different.
3: Yeah, it, it is definitely different. I think it is interesting that remember when they played the though, there wasn't there weren't really that many
0: people. No.
3: Like there, there, was like a hit. and so it's almost like the same. Like the only the only thing we've come to, we know about about this course is like there's no spectators there, which is also true. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm bummed that you guys didn't mention sponsor exemption uh, field entrant Jordan Spieth in, in this group this week. Uh, he's also in the field. Uh, I expect his name to be mentioned among the biggest stars in the field. Greg, yeah, go ahead. Time stamp. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you
0: brought him up earlier, so I figured I was just... Uh, just oh, yeah, I
1: guess well. that's a good point. Uh, why is it Bryson playing?
0: I asked that same question. I mean, it. W- I guess it's just... Prep for Augusta because to th- to think you'd leave Vegas when it's right. Ra- I don't know I mean he has four weeks I I, I I don't know I could not figure out why he's not playing this. Hold
3: on, I, I love that Prep for Augusta means not playing
0: tournament golf, but rather <laughs> rather going to test. Right, like these forty eight inch bazookas. He said he's gonna hit. Uh, I think he said he'll hit two thousand drivers between now and Augusta. Is I believe the quote he said. Listen, I've been on
3: this since Detroit. He's a psychopath, but it's working. Like it like it worked. Like he's he's on the right path as well. So uh anyway, CJ Cup's gonna be fun. You know, you, you get this is a tournament that we usually have to watch at like four in the morning after USC Oregon has gone into double overtime. Um, but uh, this year we need to watch it at you know prime time so it, it'll be a lot of fun it's a great field uh, the course is not you know it's not gonna be it, it'll be good it, it'll be a really fun tournament with a, a ton of stars which is what we love covering in this sport.
0: few odds and ends before we put a bow on this episode I in the matchup challenge did not go over I came back with a three and two record but with a four and one record. The winner for this week's matchup challenge is Mark Immelman. Congratulations, Mark.
2: Ah, <laughs> it's about time. No surprise. I needed to reestablish some order in the world. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was actually a little disappointed that Louie let me down because I was paying attention to this stuff through the week, and then when I saw Bryson start off like he did, because I know the group of guys went with Webb in, in that combination, and then I, I, I saw Jason Day. I saw there were a few miscuts. But then I saw Dave play go play well, and I saw Wolf play well. And then it was just Louie, and he had a good day today. I thought he might have pipped um, whoever I'd picked him against, but it, it was I, I enjoy the format already there.
0: It was Sungjae Im who nipped him by one shot. So it was very close. Both of them played really well over the course of the week. That was the only one that you got incorrect, Mark. And we all, or at least the majority of us, myself, Greg, and Mark, all took Patrick Cantlay in our one and done, which, Greg, that was looking good for a while. That was looking good until Sunday morning, and we're going to end up getting 190,000 points out of it. But I think we might have wanted a bit more.
1: Yeah, I suppose we could have uh, we could have stretched over Kyle and Jacob a little bit um, if if he won, but it's still a great pick. And look, in the one and done, this is kind of what you're looking for you you pick guys that you think are, are top ten locks, uh, guys that you know are going to have a great week, and even if they have a bad day, it still turns into um, you know 190 thousand points. So I, I think it, all in all, it's a success. You just wonder if Cantlay catches fire. Is that really his best performance of the year? I doubt it. So maybe we lost a little bit there. But the good news is all three of us, uh, Rick, Mark, and myself, we all picked him. So, I, you know, it, no harm, no foul.
2: You see, in lies the challenge, especially for next week and, and when I'm and done picking in the week thereafter at Sherwood in Northern California. I didn't watch the match. I was not interested in that lot at all. <laughs> I know what the course looks like i don't know what it asks players to do we've got a number of guys who probably haven't played there before so it's a lottery and then it's the same deal the following week when they go up there for the zozo so uh it's going to be a little professional guessing out of yours truly for the next couple of weeks that's for certain
0: speaking of the next couple of weeks and kp you can just put a bow on this episode for us the next couple of weeks we've we've mentioned it it's cj cup it's zozo it's bermuda It's Houston and it's Augusta. It's kind of weird that now we've got this November Masters and all these top players who we're going to see next week at the CJ Cup uh, in Las Vegas, you know, they've got to kind of figure out what their schedule looks like over the next couple of weeks and how many of these events are they going to play? Presumably CJ, Zozo, maybe take off uh, Houston and just show up at Augusta. Who knows? I think it's really interesting to see how the schedule is going to break down for a lot of these top guys over the next four or five weeks.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, and you know I, I put out a question on Twitter last week, like, hey, I'm I'm getting ready for Masters prep, like, what 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 do you guys want to see us write about? And so many people talked about one, what players are doing the prep, like like what how it's different in in, in November than April, and two, just like what the course conditions are against the national in, in November, and I thought. I just—it's it, really interesting to see people so interested in like this minutia that we all like holler about, but <laughs> like, I—you I, wonder if people actually care about it sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that you—you know, nobody's gonna play. None of the big names are gonna play Bermuda. I, I don't think that many guys are gonna play Houston. I mean, I, I don't know. May, maybe like still, usually does, Obviously, it's a different time, so maybe he, I, who who knows? I don't know what that field is gonna look like. But I think you're probably going to see most guys. And, you know, Tiger will be Zozo, and that's it. Uh, most of the others will be CJ Zozo. That's it. Bryson's already done in Pelagast. So that's that's one of the top team guys that's already out of the way. So I do think the lead-in is going to be interesting. I, I I honestly, I think that for most of the top 25 guys in the world, the last time we see them is uh, the following week at Zozo. And then it's just all Masters from there.
0: All Masters from there. That's probably like... That could be an episode name, producer Jacob, all masters from there. That'll do it for this episode of The First Cut. That's Kyle Porter. You can find on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. That's Mark Immelman, who you can find at Mark underscore Immelman. That's Greg Ducharme, who you can find at The Real GFD. You can find me at Rick Rungood. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.